Well, bless the wonderful name of Jesus. I'm so glad that you decided to join me again for another episode of Kingdom Rock Radio. Today's message is entitled, He Did It For You. And it is part one of our new series, Living for Christ. I know you are about to be blessed. Don't forget to share this message with a friend. And if you would like to hear this message in its entirety, at no cost to you whatsoever, just go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. You can find this message and so many more right there. All right, without any further ado, here comes today's message entitled, He Did It For You, right here on Kingdom Rock Radio. All right, well, in the book of 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, we're going to start today a, a whole new series, and this series is entitled, Living for Christ. Living for Christ. This life is for you. Praise the Lord. This life is for you talking about our life reserved for the Lord. So we're going to see a great number of things today, um, possibly today and over the course of the next four or five weeks or so as we continue in this series. It may go even further than that. I'm not sure. We just want to do our best to follow the leading of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So I'm thankful that you're praying with me. All right, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Let me read to you verses 21, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verses uh, 14 through 21. This is so thrilling. And it goes like this. For the love of Christ constraineth us. I'm reading to you out of the King James Version. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live, you, now underline this word live here or circle it in your Bible because we're going to be coming back around to that. Verse 15 again, uh, as a matter of fact, every time you see the word live, I want you to circle it, live or die, okay? So I'm going I'm to go ahead and continue to read now. Uh, let me start back again, verse 14, if you don't mind. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, uh, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more, of course, in that light or in that manner. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing or counting their trespasses or sins unto them and committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God uh, did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Somebody say praise the Lord. We want to speak from the subtitle today of the series. Of course, the series title is Living for Christ. The subtitle of today's message is He Did It For You. He did it for you. Say, he did it for me. He did it for me. Let me give you a few thoughts here. An ungrateful heart will find it very difficult to surrender. An ungrateful heart will find it very difficult to surrender. Those who feel they're entitled will hardly utter a thank you. You think you're supposed to get it, that it is already yours? You won't say thank you. Sacrificial giving originates from those who know they didn't deserve it in the first place. When you know you don't deserve it, but it's given to you anyway, oh, gratitude begins to well up and come out of you. It's easy to bless someone else when you know you don't deserve it anyway. Christ has given unto us new life. Let me read this to you, as a matter of fact, uh, verse um, number 14, 15 out of the New New Living Translation. Let me read this to you. It says this, either way, Christ's love controls us since we believe that Christ died for all. Now, here again, the subtitle here is he did it for you. What did he do for you? Well, first of all, he died for you. He died for you. And as we get on in this series, the Lord willing, you'll also understand he not only died for you, he died as you. In other words, you and I were due the penalty for our sins. Scripture says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We'll look at that. We were dead. You were dead. Dead men walking. Hollywood would call it zombies. Brains, brains. Dead, having no life. And in due time, Christ came down and died for us. And not only for us, but he died as us. Taking the full penalty of the wrath of God upon himself so that we could rise in new life. Are you hearing? Listen to this. It says, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Once you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the old things are past. The old are past. Behold, Scripture says, the new has come. Verse 15 says, He died for everyone. Say, that includes me. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Let me read that again. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. One more time. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So he died for you and was raised for you. 
We need to, we really have to understand the full extent of that. Because when you get a, even a, a little bit larger picture, a little bit under, a little bit more understanding of that, it's not hard to thank him. It's not hard to worship him. It's not hard to endure suffering in his name once you understand what he has done for you. You understanding what we're saying today? He has died for us and was raised. He died for our sins or our transgressions. And he was raised for our justification. We're going to see this further on in. But the scripture says, I want to see this one more time, then we'll go on. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, so that those who receive his new life, in other words, those that are born again, those that are saved, those who receive his new life. I wonder, has anyone received Christ's new life? That those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Now, that's like punching some people in the gut right there. Because in our culture, in our society, it is me-centered. As long as I am happy, as long as I get the money, as long as I get the job, as long as I get the house, as long as I get the car, as long as I feel good, as long as I, 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 I... I, if this country, this world, especially our society in America, is me centered. And that meism has crept into the church. And now, as long as God blesses me, I will serve Him. But when God ceases to bless me, I will cease to serve Him. That meism, meism. Trying to put God in a headlock. Lord, you want me to serve you? Well, then you better bless me. You better give me what I want. And the better you serve me, God, the better you, God, serve me, then the more I'll do for you. That's meism, and that's an abomination and a stench in the nostrils of God. Yes, you're important, but you're not that important. Can I just tell you like it is? The sun didn't come up this morning. The earth doesn't rotate because you're on the planet. You understanding? Hallelujah. Just here to tell you the truth. Meism has to go away. It has to go away. You'll never receive God's fullness and grace for your life having a me-centered mentality. It's not all about you. Amen. It's about Jesus. Amen. Let me read that verse again. Verse 15 out of New, out of New Living Translation, 2 Corinthians, verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says this again. It says, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life. Have you received his new life? Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you have received his new life, then scripture says that you and I should no longer live for ourselves. In other words, stop trying to build a kingdom for yourself in this temporal world, in this temporal reality. Because all of this is going to be gone. Our life is like a vapor. 
It is here one moment and it is gone the next. Life as we know it is very fragile. Very fragile. And I don't want you to enter into eternity looking back to time and thinking that you're going to receive some great reward when you spent your whole life building things for yourself. And realize that you didn't do anything for him. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you still with me today? Oh, we're smiling. (laughs) But I'm serious about you. Are you hearing? I'm very serious about you. So notice here, I want you to notice two things here. Now also notice here at verse number 21. It says here, for he hath made him, now this is talking about hearing and we're speaking from the subtitle of he did it for you. We already know that he died for you and that he rose again for you. We know uh, from John uh, 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who, whosoever would believe in him would not perish. He did it for us, but have everlasting life, right? He did it for you. Not that we deserve it. Can anybody say that you deserve the love of God? Can anybody say that we deserve the, the blessings of God? No, we cannot. It is by the mercy and favor of God, the grace of God. Look at verse 21. For he hath made him, for he hath made him, talking about God the Father, made him Christ to be sin for us. Say he did it for me. He hath made him to be sin for us. Say for me. Who knew, who knew no sin? Jesus knew no sin. He never sinned. That we, say me, me. might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Now this is extremely important that you understand this. God the Father made his son to become sin or to become the sin offering. In other words, at this point, and we know the Lord Jesus, one of the most horrible things that could ever be done, horrible tragedies, horrible things, one of the most horrible events in human history was not perpetrated by Hitler, although that was awful, was not perpetrated by uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and, and whoever else, Silence of the Lambs and who, it's probably a movie, but... Out of all the bad people in history, human history, the most horrible and heinous thing that could ever be done to a human being was not done by a human being upon a human being, but it was allowed by the father to his son. In order for Jesus to become sin for us or our sin offering for us, All of humanity's sin, all of humanity's cruelness, all of humanity's evilness and wickedness, and man is innately evil. Apart from the grace of God, humankind is evil, is wicked. Humankind has fallen. That's why it's easy for a fallen man to go and take a gun and kill a baby. And then they go and they laugh about it. Jesus. 
unregenerated, fallen man is wicked. You see that every day. You see that in the Middle East as they're cutting off people's heads. Unregenerated man is wicked, is evil. But all of that wickedness, all of that sin, all of that filth for all generations was placed upon the Son of God by God the Father. Placed upon Jesus, he who knew no sin, never did anything wrong, became sin. God placed all of that sin, all of their evil sins and my sin and your sins upon Christ. Put on Christ. You say, that's a horrible thing, but it's not the worst thing. The very worst, the very next worst thing that happened was that God the Father had to turn his back on the Son because now the thing that God detests the most, sin, was now on his Son. Jesus must now pay the price for our sins. He did it for you and I. Jesus called out on the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? At that point there, there was a separation. Jesus no longer knew the love of the Father. Can you imagine one moment in your life without having even the promise of the Father in your life, without, without knowing one moment? Can you imagine one moment in your life that God would refuse to hear your prayers? that he would refuse to be in your presence, that he took his total self away from you. All life, God is life. God is love. All have been completely removed from you. And now you're faced to die for some people that would spit on you. Because he loves you. He did it for you. And for me, he took the full wrath of God upon himself. So there would no longer be any wrath laid up for us. Does that make sense to you? He says, he who knew no sin became sin. Became sin or became our sin offering. Why? That we may become that we, rather, we may be made the righteousness of God in him. He did that so that we could be in right standing with God. He did that for you and I. We're going to talk a little bit more about this right standing as we go really to uh, Romans, the fourth chapter, Romans 4, 25. You can make a special note of this or you can turn there if you like. Romans 4.25, you got to understand what Jesus has done for you. And once you understand what Jesus has done for you, you won't allow the devil to be whooping up on you, talking about all your failures and mistakes. Because it's got nothing to do with you in the first place. This was an exchange of righteousness. Christ gave you his righteousness and he took your sin. Are you hearing me? 
Now listen to this. We're going to go over this sort of quickly here. Romans 4 verse 25 says this. Who was delivered, this is talking about Jesus again, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now I want you to notice a few words here. The Bible says that he was delivered, that Jesus was delivered. Think about the crucifixion process. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. The Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb. His death would appease the wrath of God. Are you hearing? One would die so that many may live. This is the greatest love story that you'll ever hear. How God loved you so much that he was willing to put his son through unimaginable torture so that you and I could live. And that you and I who have received this new life would no longer live unto ourselves, but for the one who gave his life for us so that our lives wouldn't be about us, but all about him. It's time for us to live for Christ. Are you hearing me? It says in Romans 4, verse 25, again, it says, uh, the King James Version, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The word delivered there means to hand over or to give into another's, uh, rather to give into the hands of another, to give over into another's power or use. He was delivered, delivered to who? Delivered to death, delivered to the grave, delivered to hell, delivered to the power of the enemy. Delivered, uh, we can say, to demonic powers. Delivered to Satan, the body was delivered over. God said, here, I'm delivering my son to go through this process for you. Looking down time, he saw your face He knew your name and he knew that all of us was destined for hell. And there is a literal hell. I'm not sure how many of you actually believe that, but there is a literal hell. There is a place literally under the earth. It's not figurative. It's not imaginary. People just don't go away to nothingness. You either be in one of two places, either in heaven with the Lord Oh, you'll be, or the persons will be down in a place of torment, eventually into the lake of fire. There is a literal place. It does exist. And those that are there experience torment day and night, night and day, and it never ends. So the father knew that 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 place would await man because man failed in the beginning. There's no other place. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people, for a people that is without sin. But it's impossible for man to exist without sin. So how will we solve this problem? Someone has to come and take the sin away from man so that man can come up here and live in glory. Who will do that? His name is Jesus. The father gave his son to take away your sins 
so that you could be made right with him and stand in his presence. Does that make sense? So it says he delivered. He was delivered. In other words, he was given over. He was given over to the hands of another for our sins and was raised again for our justification. Say the word justification. Justification means simply this. It is the act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to him. It is the act of God, God sitting on his sovereign throne, declaring men to be acceptable, declaring men to be free from guilt in his presence because of the offering of Jesus Christ. This means that your righteousness has got nothing to do with you. This was a sovereign call from God. A sovereign commandment from God. The Father declared you justified. Justified. But the mind of man rejects that. Because we say, Lord, how can that be when I'm still doing this, that, and the other? How can that be when I just finished doing that last night? And you, and we've got a reminder. Here comes the devil, the accuser of the brethren, trying to bring up the past as well and say, well, you're not saved. You're not justified by God because you're still, you're still doing this, that, and that. But still, God in his infinite wisdom is just when he declared justified. He saw you from your birth, from your new birth to the end of your life and declared over your life justified, not by your works, but by the works that he's done in the body of his son. Does that make sense to you? Sin may be something that I have done, but it is not who I am. There's a difference. It may be, that may be a mistake. It may be a fault, a flaw that God is working out in me, that he is working out in you, but that is no longer who you are. And when we begin to arise in Christ, you'll simply find that some things are just beneath you. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all the evil and constraints of this world. I hope that makes sense to you. Romans 5, let me show you something else. He did this for you. He was raised, he was delivered for our sins. God gave him over because of our sins. But he got up on the third day for our justification. That was proof. It was proof throughout all the ages because Jesus got up. That means that we will get up. If Jesus had not risen, then that would mean that would mean that God was not pleased with the sacrifice. And that would mean that we were all still doomed. But because Jesus actually rose, he he rose physically, bodily, not as just some spirit that has no body, but he rose physically and bodily. He has a body. He came back to his disciples and said, touch me, feel me. Do you have any meat? Let me show you that I can eat. He rose with his body, 
which means that if he got up, that means he is justified by the Father. In other words, that he um, that his sacrifice was received by God in the heavenlies, proving to us that we have been made right with God. All those who have received this new life are now right with God, apart from what you have done. And because of that knowledge, we say again, that because we, receive, we, we have received this new life, we should not live unto ourselves. But for the one who gave us this new life. Are you understanding? Romans 5, verse 6 through 9. Listen to how it reads here out of the King James Version. Romans 5, verse 6 through 9. It says this. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for who? For the ungodly. You can put your name in there. I can put my name in there. Are you hearing me? Christ died for the ungodly, those that were without God. He does not say he Christ died for the goody two shoes. Does not say that Christ died for the righteous. It doesn't say God, Christ died for the holy rollers. It doesn't say Christ died for the perfect. It doesn't say Christ died for those who were always good. It says that Christ died. It says in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now listen, here's something. That's another misnomer in the church world. Some say, well, I got to be absolutely perfect and good for God to bless me. But here's God giving his absolute positive best ever blessing that he could ever give in the form of Jesus Christ while we were still in an ungodly state. He gave you his absolute best while you were still yet ungodly. He says, for scarcely, verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, say, but God. But God committed his love toward us or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, what? For us. He did it for you. He did it for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood. Say with me, now I'm justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him because of the blood of Jesus. We will escape the wrath of God that is surely coming upon this planet, that is surely coming upon all humanity. We will escape the wrath of God. And who can escape the hand of God or the wrath of God? Who can escape and where would you go? But we can be assured because of the blood of the Lord that was shed on our behalf we will be spared from the wrath or judgment of God because of his work and not your own. Are you hearing? Let me show you a few more before we close out today. As we're beginning to almost land the plane. First John 4. Let's go here or just make a note of it or write this down. I want you to hear this as well. 
1 John 4, you see, you need to meditate on these scriptures and understand that it's not about you. Because the enemy can come in your life and make you feel so condemned. So condemned because of an act of sin or an instance of sin. You think that you're no longer worthy. You think that God has turned his back on you. You think that God is judging you. You think that God is punishing you. But listen, if he punish, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, and if God continues, if, if God were to punish you, then that would mean that he would have to step over the body of his son to put punishment on you. But I tell you, Christ has satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. Those that are in Christ, there is no more wrath from God in store for you or I. Because it's been extinguished, extinguished, put out, taken out of the way. Are you hearing? Extinguished. First John 4, 9 through 11, it says this. And this was manifested Rather, let me start again. First John, fourth chapter, verses nine through eleven, all the King James Version. It says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Say toward me. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we say that I might live through him. Are we seeing a pattern now? That God sent his only son into the world, the only begotten son into the world, that we, say I, I, might live through him. Are you hearing? Verse 10, herein is love. This is what love really is. Not that we loved God. Oh, when you're out doing your thing, not that you were showing God that you loved him. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No matter who that another is. Are you hearing the word propitiation? Let's look at that for a moment. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Say propitiation. The word propitiation means an appeasing or the means of appeasing another. Appeasing, appeasing. The word appease means to make someone pleased or at the least less angry by giving something to them or by saying something to them. Anybody ever had somebody mad at you before? Brother Kelly said all the time. Husbands may know this when your wives are mad at you. You want to do something to appease them. Children may know this when you're when they've done something bad to mom and dad. You may want to do something to appease them. Something to take the wrath away, their anger away. Something to put them in another mood. Something to make them less angry or not angry at all. A man may buy flowers or he may buy candies or, or, or the, the children may draw something, a nice picture. Here, mommy. 
look at what I did. I did it for you. Now don't look at that. I know it's broken, but isn't this pretty? Anybody know anything about appeasing somebody? Saying some words. Baby, you know I didn't mean that, you know. You know, it was it was just this. But anyway, praise the Lord. Appeasing. Say appeasing. appeasing. So when we talk about the propitiation, it talks about an appeasing or the means of appeasing. Now, in the case of Christ, he is the perfect offering, the perfect gift given to an angry God. Are you hearing? God is not less angry with us, but all the anger or wrath has been completely taken away, removed from those who have placed their full trust in Christ as Savior, the only Lamb of God. Christ is that gift. His blood is that gift that he offered before the Father on your behalf. It went something like this. Father, you know how Kelly is. You know, you know, no matter how he tries to do it, he just keep on messing up. And you know, just as well as I do, Father, that uh, Kelly tries to get up, but you know, he's going to fall down again and again and again and again. And you know, Father, there's nowhere in the world he can get up here by himself. Yes, son, I know that. (laughs) So, Father, I'm going to bring you my blood. And I'm going to give this to you on Kelly's behalf. I know you're mad at him, but here. And once the father receives the blood, all the wrath, all the anger that he had is now melted away. And now when God looks at Kelly, when he looks at you, he smiles. And his smile has nothing to do with what you just did. It has everything to do with what Christ has already done. Hallelujah. So I've got, I've got good news for you. God's in a good mood. He has loving feelings as it concerns you. Because you've received the life that Christ has given. Are you hearing? Say, he loves me. I'm his favorite. He loves me. So here again, it says in verse number 10, herein is love. Boy, is this love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that pleasing sacrifice, that propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Because he did that for you, you ought also to do it for somebody else. Are you hearing me? Let me close by asking you a question. 
Let me see if we we got this. How do you know whether you are really standing or leaning on or fully trusting or or have fully received or understood the gift that God gave you? This was a question that was asked to just the man on the street. This is the question that was asked. The question was to them, if you died at this moment, if your life would be required of you at this moment, would you be accepted in the presence of God? That's the, that's the, that's the question. If you died at this very moment, would you be accepted in the presence of God? Would you be going to heaven or would you go straight down to hell? Many a churchgoers still cringe at the thought of that question. The first man said, well, I hope I would go. I hope I would go. Second man said, well, I know I'm not going. I know I'm not going. The third man said, absolutely. I know I'll be received in the presence of God. Absolutely. The first two answers were the man says, I hope, I hope so. And the the second answer, no, I'm definitely not going. Both of those answers are based upon your works. If your answer in this place today is, I hope so, what you are depending upon is a moral scale that you yourself have invented. On the inside of you, you have a moral scale, a scale of, of weights and balances of what's good and what's bad. And you are hoping, if you say, I hope so, that means that you are hoping that you've done more good than you have bad. This is also called self-righteousness, which is a stench in the nostrils of God. You, that means that you will be coming before God saying, Lord, here is my life. Here is all the things that I've done. And I hope that what I have done is pleasing to you. This is what I have done. You come presenting your own works before God. And it is a stench. Stench, I'll tell you now, it's a stench in the nostrils of God. But the one who says absolutely, I have the two things happening with that person. Are the one he crazy? Or two, he has received the work of Jesus. He has decided to rely on what Jesus Christ has done to lean on what Jesus has done, to have faith in what Jesus Christ has done. It is like you're at the store somewhere, maybe at Walmart, and someone has given you a gift card. And they tell you this gift card will be enough to pay for whatever you buy, your entire purchase. They tell you whatever doesn't matter, this gift card has it on here, it has it all. But then you go through the store and you try to get things that you need and you try to get a, maybe slip one or two things in that you want and you go up to the counter and some of us would be shaking. I don't know. They may not have made me to get this much. 
and you're shaking, you're shaking. You're hoping that what the person told you is reliable and true. Everything, they didn't tell you what balance was on the card. All they said was whatever you need is on this card. Some will go up trembling and shaking. Some will go up relying. Here. Here. Because I know that he told me that I'm covered. Hallelujah. I'm covered. Praise the Lord. I'm covered. It's done. This is the essence of salvation. This is the essence of Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. It is not a religion. That's a false statement. It is a way, a method that God has given to fallen man to come into connection and right fellowship or to be reconciled to him. The question is, have you been reconciled to God? If you go through this life a hoping, I hope I'm going to make it, I hope I'm good enough, then you, let me tell you, I'm sorry, you stink. That means you're self-righteous. You've got your own measurement, your own standard, and you're not relying on the finished work of Jesus. That means you're ignoring what Jesus did. You're ignoring the pain that the Father went through for you. You're ignoring the nails in the Lord's hands and the the crown of thorns upon his head. You're ignoring his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You're putting all that aside, and now you're hoping that you did good enough. Well, let's all clap for you now as you enjoy hell. Because there's only one sacrifice, one life that the Father looks at in terms of you. And that's the life of Jesus. So sin may have been something that you did, but it is no longer who you are. I am not that anymore. You are not that anymore. And just, and just as you don't want God to hold you to your past deeds, don't hold anyone else to their past deeds. Are you hearing? You love God. God loves you. And he went through an incredible, he paid an incredible price for you. An incredible, an unimaginable death. How many of us would give our son, our only son, so that others, some would receive and others would condemn, others would mock, others would use their name, his name in a curse word, in casual conversation. Others would spit on him. But God said, I love you so much that I'm willing to allow my son to pay the price so that you would have at least the hope of coming home with me. Not many would give our children for someone else. Not many would die even for a good person. Not many would do that. But God saw us in our sin. He saw us in our iniquity. He saw us and he loved you. He saw you on the dance floor. Shaking it. And he loved you. He loved you. He saw you in the den of iniquity and he loved you. He saw you in the crack house and he loved you. He saw you in the whole house and he loved you. 
and he loved you. Have you ever loved somebody like that with a passionate, red hot love? Love at first sight. Maybe you've never experienced that before. He loved you. And willing, even before you were born, he loved you. He knew you. And was willing to pay this horrible price so that you could live with him for an eternity. I pray today that you will live for Christ. We're done in Jesus' mighty name. Give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Hallelujah. We pray that you are richly blessed by today's message. We would love to connect with you. Just go to our website at kingdomrock.org. You can become our friend on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel and a whole lot more. Right there at kingdomrock.org. We would love to hear from you. And if you're in the Bremen area, please stop by and join us every Sunday morning. Sunday school is at 9 a.m. and Sunday morning is at 10. Wednesday night, we have what's called Hour of Power. It starts at 6.30 p.m. All are invited. We're located at 180 Helton Road in Bremen, Georgia. Give us a call at 770-537-1933. We would love to hear from you. And if you have a prayer request, by all means, please log on to our website at kingdomrock.org and click on the prayer page. Until tomorrow, remember that Jesus is Lord. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.